What happened last night was extraordinary because it was an expansion of what we have been praying for. Okay, this was, this was the Jesus film played for the first time, and there were about, as I said, 150 people there, 55 decisions for Christ. 55 decisions last night for Christ. And this is in an area that, that we have a, that there is a church there that we're working with, so there will be follow-up. As a matter of fact, there is already follow-up today. Following up with these people that accepted Jesus Christ and understanding that that's just the beginning of a journey. That's just the beginning. From there, it's developing this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening today. And, and so, but I was just blown away, blown away by what God is doing. And last night, as I said, there were 55 salvations. There were 21 healings. 21 confirmed healings from last night. Now, this is a small village. They actually have bigger villages. <laughs> 150 people, and the whole village comes out. When you go and do this in a place like that, the whole village comes out. These are predominantly Muslim areas. These are predominantly areas where they don't know Christ, and that, that's what we're targeting there. In areas where... where there's either a new church plant or, or some way of doing follow-up. But this is such an incredible tool. Now, I, I, want you, I wanted to put this in front of you and mention it to you because this is really, really important. This is equipment that we were given. We did not have to buy it. This is equipment we were given by the Jesus Film Project. And all they say is, if you're working in an area that has unreached people groups, which we do, in that area there is a, a, a group called the Fulani Tribesmen. And they, they speak Hausa. They do not, uh, they, they are an unreached people group. It means less than 2% of that people group has even ever heard of who Jesus is. Okay? So because of that, they give us this equipment, we play it. As long as we play that film 50 times a year, then we get the equipment for free. Now, the beautiful thing is I'm very excited to tell them about what the plans are. This was the first one. Now, we did this when we were there. Okay, We had over 2,000 people, and we had, had several hundred come to know the Lord with this film. It's just an amazing film. And it's in their language, by the way. Now, most of these people have never even seen a film, but it's in their language. It's in, this one was in the TIV language, T-I-V. But we have over 180 languages that we have this film in that we've already given to them. Now, the beautiful thing is this is already scheduled to do 10 times in the month of June, twice a week. They, they want to average twice a week. He's already trained three people to do it. This month in June, he is going on each one. But the idea, when I go back, which is hopefully in July, when I go back, my hope, prayer, and goal is to take back at least two more units of this. So those others who we have trained can now separate that out and go different places. So instead of two a week, doing four a week or six a week in different places. 
See, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because this is the birthing of what you've been a part of. This is the birthing of what this church has prayed for, has sent people for, and is beginning. So you are every bit a part of this, whether you're physically there or not. And I'll tell you what, they are excited. Oh my goodness, they're excited because the people are so hungry. They're so hungry for what God is doing there and wanting to do there. So I just wanted to give that little... uh, update because uh, uh, Andrew had had sent me that late last night. Well, it was late last night for him. I got it in the late afternoon, but uh, he just sent it to me yesterday. So I wanted to give you an update and, and tell you just pray because there's nine more coming in the month of June. And we're just excited to hear what that's going to be. And I can't wait to get back out there and see the follow-up and see what's going on. It's just going to be so awesome. So we are, we are back in um, uh, Colossians today. However, before I get to Colossians, I've been so excited to get up here this morning. And it, sometimes it's weird because sometimes I'm like um, not exactly sure about, uh, about what he wants to do. Other times I, I'm just like so eager because of something that I want to tell you. And, and this morning is an example of that. This morning, I get to share with you a word that the Lord gave me this past week. And this is before we get into Colossians, because I, I, I know he has a word for us in Colossians. But, but this prophetic word that he shared with me this week, um, when he gave it to me on Tuesday night, um, it was not for the purpose of sharing it that night. And at, at first, I didn't know why. But I know why now. Because he needed to confirm. He needed me to be so confident about this word and understanding what he is doing. Because then it will be confidence in you and excitement for you. So before I read this word, I'm going to read one of the confirmations that he gave me. And I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to read this whole chapter. Okay? But I want you to be thinking in terms of the calling that God has placed on Ignition Church and the calling that God has placed on your lives. And, and by the way, this isn't just those here. This is those who are with us on Facebook and on Periscope, online. You know, Lex and I had the joy of being able to visit Joe and Mineta this week. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. I, I just miss them so bad. And, and there are many that are unable to come here because of physical issues. Joe Mineta, hello. I know Carson, hello. Bren, hello. Angela, hello. They're all watching. They can't be here because of physical reasons. But they're part of this church. They're part of our hearts. They're part of this family. And they apply to this calling. And, and not just them, there, there are several others as well that, that are not physically here, but have been a part of this calling in this church. So I want to read from the perspective, as you're listening to this, listen to it in the perspective of what God has spoken to you about your calling and the calling of this church. 
And then I'm going to point out a couple things. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I want to repeat that last part here because I want you to pay special note of this. Okay, he's talking about a calling. He's talking about a favor that he's pouring on these people. And he says, this, I'm doing this for these people. Why? So that they may be called oaks of righteousness that the Lord has planted. The planting of the Lord. Why? That he may be glorified. Verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Pay attention to this and listen. And in the back of your mind, remind yourself of our calling. And what he has said he is going to do in us. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in their glory you shall boast. I want to put another thought into your mind as we continue reading here. I want you to be reminded of Revelation 3.9 and what God is going to do in the readying of the bride. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations. And their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as the garden causes what is sown in to be sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness 
and praise to sprout up before all the nations. I want to point something out here. You look at what Isaiah is talking about, and what's amazing to me is how God ties everything in, because this actually ties into Colossians. See, you read that and you realize the promise given to the children of Israel. But was it what wasn't known at that time, but what was revealed later, Paul says, is this great mystery. I don't know that we'll get to it today, perhaps next week in Colossians. But it's this great mystery of what? That the Gentiles were grafted in. We were grafted into this same promise. So we can read Isaiah 61 and we can apply that to ourselves as part of the body of Christ, as the church. So again, he gave me several confirmations of this word this week. I'll, I'll just share another quick one because many of you follow Lana and I thought it was interesting. I think it was the day after. Uh, I can't remember what day she did this, but um, actually she didn't even do it. I think one of her people on her Facebook or whatever, they put a picture with a word that she had. And the cat, it, it was a picture of a rose or, or some flower blooming. And the, 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 the caption read that June is the month for bloom. All right. Kind of catchy, kind of cool, whatever. Kind of dorky if you don't like that sort of thing. <laughs> May not have meant anything to anybody else, but it meant the world to me because of what I'm about to read to you. Now, this is the word that was given to me Tuesday evening. And this is from the Lord. I want you to listen intently to the words. This church, my church, was sprouted from just a few small seedlings. A few that saw me and decided to step out and follow the call that I placed in their hearts. They stepped out and allowed me to take them to unfamiliar ground, and I planted them. They began to grow and grow, and now they are a bed of flowers that are blooming beautifully. But now, and I've told you before, I love those words in Scripture when he says, but now, or and then. But now I am taking the seeds from the blooming flowers that I watered and allowed to grow, and I am sprouting up a new thing in this church. I will once again, it will once again be unfamiliar. It will be new, but it will grow. I will be the only thing to water it. I will be the only thing to cultivate it. I will be the only thing that will be able to be glorified for the new blooms. The season is changing. The tide is shifting. The tables are turning. And I will be glorified in the harvest. I will be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just give you our yes today. As a church, Father, and as the representative of that church, I give you our yes. We stand before you in complete 
desire of your will to be done on earth for this church as you have planned it in heaven. And as we come before you, Lord, we also state the desire of your will to be done in our lives as you have written it in our books. Because you have purpose. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're laying before our feet and having expectation of us stepping. Fill us full of faith, Father, to trust in your every move. I thank you for the blooms. I thank you that you were faithful in planting us in new ground and cultivating and growing. But God, I thank you for what you are doing even right now. I see it in people's lives. So many lives in this room and online that I get to see personally, get to talk to personally, and see the changes of your power in their lives. I see it in my own life. I thank you for what you're doing. Because it's never been about numbers. It's never been about a building. It's never been about recognition. But it's been about those individual flowers. It's been about you cultivating one by one by one by one. I thank you. Because God, we don't just look at your will as what you want to do through this church, but we look at it as what you want to do from our lives individually. So God, I just pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. As we consider this and go through the next section of Colossians, Father, speak your words through my mouth, none of my own. We trust you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Colossians. We're in chapter 1 and we're in verse 15. You know, what Paul's talking about here, he's talking to this church that he had never been to before, yet he had heard of. He had heard many things about their statements of faith. Their reputation was greater than their church. Their testimony was greater than the people in the church. See, that's how it's supposed to be. But as, I, as we looked at last week, that's what drew prayer. It drew Paul... His prayer for this church because he had heard of their faith. Don't ever think that what you do, what you do only affects you. Because it affects everybody who knows you. 
And when you have a powerful testimony, it affects people that even hear of you. Remember in the word, Jesus said, I will water. I will cultivate. Why? Because he will take the glory. The glory is his. It's not ours. It's not about what he wants to do here so we could get some awesome programs, some big building, and the Ignition name is this brand that just is everybody knows and everybody, everybody knows is associated with Christ. Oh, my heart. I could care less. I really could care less about that. What I want is I want people to look at you, look at me, look at Ignition, and not see us. I want them to see Jesus. Because Jesus is who makes the difference. I look in individuals' lives here, and I see the changes that he has made in lives. It's extraordinary. I mean, if you don't believe... First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it's first or second, it's one of those two. If you don't believe that that love chapter says that it is the most powerful thing, then you're blind. Because look around. Look around at what his love has produced. Look in your own life as what his love has produced. Because when we really recognize that love, man, it changes us. I was talking about this last night. I don't know, maybe Alexa and I were talking, Brooke might have been there. I can't remember. (laughs) That's what happens when you get old. But we were just talking about this last night, that, that when love permeates you, it makes changes even in how you see things. It makes changes in how you see the world, certainly. But it makes changes in how you see people. And how you think people see you. But the more you understand Jesus' love, the more you understand the authority that you're given over the enemy. The authority that you're given over the temptation from the enemy... And not just the temptation, but the snares. Ephesians 6, from those, those darts, those arrows that he slings at us. You know, we, again, we were talking yesterday, yesterday about the fact that you don't have to be afraid of him, of the enemy. You don't have to be afraid of what he can do. You just have to know who you are in Christ. And that love changes Lives. It's just extraordinary to me. And and the funny thing, and I keep I keep saying this, but it's so easy of a concept. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm saying the concept is actually very easy. Recognizing who he is, going after him and his kingdom, period, letting him deal with everything else. That that's actually pretty easy in concept. It's tough because you've got to get yourself out of the way. You've got to get your own pride out of the way. But let's, let's start in verse 15 here of Colossians chapter 1. And this is talking about Jesus. This is the preeminence of Christ. 
Okay, verse 15, Paul is, is talking about uh, this to the, the church at Colossae. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, hold up one second. Don't get confused. This is not saying Jesus Christ was created. Okay, please understand that. What it's saying, and, and it, it, when we read on, he's going to actually confirm that and verify that and explain it in a little more detail. The firstborn of all creation is the firstborn who was born out of death. Right? Jesus Christ, when he gave his life on the cross, he was raised, we sang about it, the very same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in me. Right? That power rose him from the grave. He became the firstborn of the dead. See, because nobody was in heaven. Nobody had risen until Jesus Christ had risen. All those who died before him, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. They did not raise from the dead until Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That's why the, the scripture says that he went to hell to set the captives free. What captives? Those who belong in hell because they didn't believe in a Messiah? No. Those who had conquered death because they believed in the Messiah. That's who he set free. It wasn't the people who did not accept him, did not believe in a coming Messiah, but because of that, he was the first to be raised from the dead. That's what it's talking about here. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. So clearly, he couldn't be his own first creation. Okay? He's the image of the invisible God. This is talking about human Jesus. Okay, don't confuse that, that this, what Paul's saying here is the human Jesus, the one who was born and became a hundred percent man, he was made in the image of the invisible God, his father. Okay, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's sharing both realities, the reality that we see, the height, width, length, time, four of them. Okay? That's the one reality that we know best. But then the invisible reality, what is here on this plane, what is in the third heaven? Okay? He was part, all things were created through him, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And by the way, him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I, I don't know if you've ever read this, but it, it talks about this in Hebrews too. Um, uh, this is a really interesting thought. How many science geeks do we have in here that would be willing to admit it? Seriously, we don't have any? I know Doug's downstairs. Of course he's going to be downstairs. Actually, that's probably better because if I got it wrong, I wouldn't want him to correct me. Okay, have, have those who went through science class, how's that? Anybody have a science class in here? Okay, there we go. Did anybody actually go to school? Okay, there we go. Okay, do you remember something called subatomic glue? No. 
All right, you all failed miserably. Miserably. Okay, science, I, I love this idea of science because they go as far as they can go in understanding something. And when something is there that they don't understand, they just kind of slap a name on it and pretend that they know what that is. Okay, if you understand the makeup of an atom, do we, do we know that? Did, not Adam and Eve. No, not, not Adam and Eve. You know what protons are. You know what neutrons are, right? They make up the atom. If, if you split those, we have this thing called a nuclear reaction, right? Okay? So you have protons and neutrons, and you would think they're... they're huh? And it, yeah. Neutrons and electrons go around. Okay, there were three? Okay, but I, I was thinking that they were part of the one. Well, whatever. Okay. Now this thing doesn't work. Okay, now, now we have got to back up the live video. No, okay, protons, neutrons, electrons. I'm, I'm trying to think of the two that, that are opposing. Is it protons and electrons? Okay, I didn't go to the all right, so you have protons and electrons, right, yes. that oppose each other. That it's kind of like if you put a magnet opposite, you know how it pushes apart? You can't, you got to really hold it together, right? Yeah, there you go. It's the same with these, but yet they're held together. And, and scientists don't know what that is, so they call it subatomic glue. But if they would just read the Word of God, they would know what it is. Because we just read it. It's held together by the Word of His power. Literally, Jesus holds it together with His Word. He holds the very fabric of what we are as a creation, because see, atoms are in everything. They're in all of us. So He holds it together, what? With His Word. With him saying, hold together. I mean, maybe not those words. With the power of his word, he holds the very fabric of creation together. This is, this is who Paul is trying to get Colossae to understand that they worship. By his very word, everything is held together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church... He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that explains verse 15. He is the firstborn of the dead. He was the first to raise, be raised from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For, him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay, and, and you can look at that and you can say, well, of course, I mean, he's God. But understand that this is from the perspective of him being a man. He had to learn obedience. You ever think about that? And I've talked about that before. He had to learn obedience. He had, it, it, that's what the Bible says, that he had to learn by faith, just like we have to learn by faith. So what God is saying here, what Paul's saying is for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It found root in Jesus. It found root in Jesus the man. 
And I'm not saying he ceased being God, because he was 100% God, but 100% man. He had to go through the same things we go through. He had to believe in faith the same way we have to believe in faith. Why? Because then he became an example to us. We can literally look at his life and not use the excuse that, of course, he's God. I can't do that. Of course he could. He's God. Okay, but in reality, that's why he had to learn those things. That's why he was brought and became a man by choice. He became a man to have to learn those things because then he could be an example for us. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on heaven or in the earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, that precious blood. The peace that that blood will bring in our lives. Not just on this earth, but ultimately in being with him. See, the opposite reality is a scary reality. To get what we actually deserve. Verse 21. And you... Who were once now remember he's talking to the Gentiles here. And you, Church of Colossae, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. <laughs> That's what I was talking about earlier. We can go back to Isaiah 61 and we can apply Isaiah 61 to us. That's, that's why it's a confirmation of Revelation 3.9 that, that you know what? God wants to do this good in the bride. We, we are inheritance, our inheritance is the same. We're grafted in the same with Israel. And I'm talking about his eternal inheritance. Please don't confuse the inheritance of the land. Because Israel will get that. Israel will be that. It doesn't take away from the promises on this earth that God has for the nation of Israel. They will lead. In fact, when Jesus comes to reign and take over David's throne, it will be in Jerusalem. It will be that Israel will be the nation that leads the world. So it doesn't, it doesn't negate those promises. But we were grafted into the eternal promises. We were grafted into this idea that we could be with him forever, right? Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want to read actually from a different version because I, I, it, it can be really confusing to understand eternal security when you read certain pass, passages and, and you think, okay, wait a second, there, there is something that I have to do. If you ever want to be confused about eternal security, go read Hebrews chapter 6. You'll be confused unless you dig into it unless you really understand what it's saying, unless you understand the nuances of, 
of the, the original language and understand what it's saying. And th this is a potential one here as well, because it put that word if in there. Okay, and I just read that. That, that actually is not part of the Greek. So I, I want to read you a different one, and this is in the message. This is, this is a really good, uh, good version. If you, if you pull up the Greek, this is where you're going to uh, come to. And this is all in tense. Okay, he's talking about you are grafted in, you're reconciled in the body. Uh, uh, he has reconciled us by his flesh and his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. First of all, present us to who? Present us to the Father. Why? Because the Father's the ultimate judge. The Father is the one who will say, righteous, unrighteous. And he will look at the evidence before him. So Jesus literally gave his life so he could be our attorney. And if we accept him, then he goes and he presents his case before the Father. And he says, they're covered in my blood. You don't even have to look any further than that. They're covered. They're taken care of because they have accepted me. I've done everything, Jesus said. And the Father accepts that. But where it says here, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, under, I want to read it a little bit differently. In the message, let's start at verse 22. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. Verse 23, you don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message. Do you understand the difference there? In other words, I'm going to present you wholly before the Lord if you do this. Versus, I'm going to present you wholly before the Lord. You don't want to miss this. Do you see the difference? That's why it's important to get to the understanding of what's real in his word. Because there are entire religions, entire sects of a religion that would go off with that one word and say, you can lose your salvation because it says here, if. But yet that's not at all what it's saying. The tense is saying, look what he's given you. How can you not take advantage of it? How can you not take advantage of this relationship that he's offered you? Everybody here, everyone here, everybody online who has accepted Jesus Christ into their heart has been given this potential for a relationship. Now, by the way, you're not given a relationship. You're given a covering. Okay, you're given a covering before the Father, so Jesus comes and says, their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are covered because they accepted me into their hearts. However, relationship is something different, and we've talked about this many times. Relationship is the growth of closeness that you have with Jesus Christ. Salvation is what opens that door. But it is time and it's effort 
that draws you close in that relationship. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying he is presenting you blameless before the Father. Take advantage of this. Don't let it go. Don't misunderstand the opportunity you have here. The the one who is the number one in all the universe. The Father lifted his name above all names. Not just here on the earth, but in all the universe. And he's saying, you have an opportunity to draw close to him. Don't give up that opportunity. See, it's not that you're giving up salvation. You couldn't if you wanted to. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, if you turned around 24 hours later, if you truly did, and then turned around and said, you know what, Uh, never mind. Take it back. He'd say, I already did all the work. I can't take it back because I am faithful myself, the scripture says. So you can't do anything about that. But you can lose in your relationship with him if you don't cultivate that. That's what he was talking about in his word. That he he plants these seedlings. He plants these and he waters and he cultivates and he prunes. So many times the scriptures use, use the vernacular of growth, especially in, in, in like farming type terms, the vernacular of growth to be able to explain the process. It's not an overnight process. Growing in Christ is a lifetime process. It's a complete process. It's something you'll never finish. By the way, I don't believe you'll ever finish it in eternity. I believe in eternity we will continue growing closer to him. We'll never maintain that point where I just know everything about him now. (laughs) It's never going to come to that point. So you cultivate this right now. And that's what Paul's saying is don't miss out on this opportunity. Don't miss out on this opportunity. See, you have laying before you right now a best friend in Jesus Christ just saying, I want to spend time with you. I want you to be my best friend. But there's a cost to that. See, Paul's talking about the benefits here. And there's amazing benefits. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine, um, you know, if, if, uh, uh, if you wanted, if you became friends with, with Donald Trump or anybody else super famous that you could think of, okay? Imagine this for a second. Very hard to get access to whoever you're thinking of. Extremely hard to get access to them. Okay, because of their fame or whatever it is, their wealth, whatever. But you have access to them. Okay? How then do you take advantage of that opportunity? Well, you would cultivate that, right? You would try and build that relationship. If it was somebody you really cared about building a relationship with, you would take the time to build that relationship. See, Imagine it in terms of that with Jesus Christ. He's the name above all names. Why then do we take for granted, he'll be there tomorrow. I don't need to work on it today. I'm saved and I just kind of want to do what I want to do. See, we don't think of it in terms of that reality because we can't see him. We can't 
see something he did on Facebook. We don't see it on the evening news. Right? We just know of him. And the problem is you can't get to know him by just knowing of him. It takes that step of growing in the relationship. And, and we've all been through this. We're, we're, we're all at different stages of this. And, and this, is, this is really important to understand because it is a process that costs. And, and I, know, I know I talk about the cost a lot. And, and, and perhaps I, I assume you understand the benefits, and I shouldn't, because the benefits are incredible. The benefits are great. What it cost Alexis and I three years ago was a tremendous cost in being obedient to this calling. But if you talk to her and you talk to me, the cost was nothing, nothing compared to the benefit. Nothing compared to the relationship that we have with him, that is growing with him. And, and even, after, even after the last three years and what he's done, and it's just been so mind-boggling, I feel like I'm such a baby. So at the beginning of this thing, and that's exciting, because there's so much in relationship that you could build with him, and it doesn't matter your age. It just matters your focus. It doesn't matter if you think that, well, you know, that my whole life, it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of toward the end of my life and whatever, and I've done, been there, done that, and, you know, I know how the game works. Don't, don't take that outlook. You know, I wasn't called until I was 50 years old. I knew how the game worked. <laughs> Trust me. I had been around the block many, many times. But what I didn't know is what it meant to have intimate relationship with him. What I didn't know is that there was a relationship possibility that I could never reach the end of. Everybody in here wants a best friend. Those of you who have had or have a best friend, have they ever let you down? Yeah. Absolutely. How about having a best friend that would never let you down? That would never leave you nor forsake you? See, these are all promises in relationship with him. There is nothing you will face in this earth that he did not already face. And he just walks and he says, just walk with me. I've already, I've already plowed this path. Just walk with me. I know the trail. I know the way we need to go. Just hold my hand and walk with me. But oftentimes, we don't for different reasons. Maybe we don't see him holding out his hand. Maybe we see him holding out his hand, but we really, that, that path there looks pretty good. I'd rather go down that path. Because I'm blinded. This path I see, your path I don't see. That's where Paul says, keep your eyes on Jesus, because he is the guide. He is the one who knows the path. So look, look at your own life right now, where you're at. Are you seeking him? Are you reaching out to take his hand? If he's trying to guide you in a place that you're unfamiliar, are you willing to go?
Are you willing to trust? Or sometimes we go and we, okay, I'll go. I could be real happy about it, but I'll go. Kind of defeats the purpose, you know? I mean, how sad is it to be obedient to the Lord and not have joy about it? It's kind of like, well, I'll, I'll do what's right. I'll do what you want, but I'm not going to let you make me happy about it, you know? I mean, you kind of miss out on the good part. So obedience is also about trust. Do you trust him to be everything for you? Do you trust him to fulfill everything in you that nobody else could? Because he wants to, and he absolutely can. We just read that. If you believe his word, you just read the fact that in him everything is made, and for him everything is made. You were created for him. You were created to be fulfilled in him. That's what he paid for on the cross. We just read it. That's what he paid for on the cross. And, and what, what Paul is saying here is don't feel indebted to him, even though we are. We're incredibly indebted to Jesus. But don't look at it like an indebtedness that you could pay back. Look at it as an opportunity that is laid at your feet that you can take advantage of. That's what relationship is. It's not something that you'll be judged on if you don't do it right. It's something you will not receive the fruit of if you don't do it at all. Relationship's a process. And growth in him is a process. But every step along the way, there are the fruits of the Spirit. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness. So if you're, if you're in this relationship and you're seeking God and you're in your relationship with Him and you're not seeing those fruits, you're doing something wrong in the relationship. You're seeing something the wrong way. Or perhaps you're not receiving what He has for you. Or maybe you're, you're letting go of His hand a little bit. Because those are the signs of relationship with him going down the right path. He promises that. When we're, when we're in relationship to him, he gives us peace about it. In fact, it's peace that doesn't make sense. See, it doesn't make sense that we were to close the business and, and start a church. And actually, he didn't even tell us all that at the same time. Might have been easier. I don't know. He just said, close the business. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Close the business. See, if we only did that, but did it in our own strength, there's no peace in that. Okay, I closed the business. Now, how can we make money? How can we do this? How can we do that? How about as a church? You know, and we've talked about this many times before. We don't take offerings here. We just have a box over in the corner. Okay? And, and the Lord lays on people's hearts in relationship with him to do what they're supposed to do. I know most churches are a 20-80 split. 20% give, 80% don't. Our church is the opposite of that. And yet we don't ask. Why? It's because it's about the relationship. 
Right? If we seek that one thing that we're supposed to seek, everything else falls into place. If you feel your life kind of going out of control, if you feel your life is not what you pictured it to be, or it's not going the direction you, you want it to go, you're, you're getting these signs of, I, I know I'm not because the fruits of the Spirit are not there. I don't have peace. I worry. I worry about everything. There's no peace there. There's no confidence there. See, if you have some of these things, then you have to look at the whys of that. And it always points back to relationship. Usually it's something that we're not willing to let go of. Usually it's something that, well, I I like my control in this area. (laughs) And I'd rather have my control than the peace. See, you can, you, you can know for a fact that the peace will be there if you're in relationship with him. If you're, if you're giving it to him, the peace will be there because he said. He said it wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense. When we closed the business, I didn't, and, and I'm speaking very honestly to you, I've not worried about money since. Because truly the Lord promised, and I know he's not a liar. So I just trusted him. What he's telling you to do in your life, whatever it might be, that whatever that next step is, do you trust him for it? Or, or do you trust him to, let me just kind of see the plan and then I'll kind of make my own way. I, I can promise you it doesn't work that way. He does not work that way. Because the very fuel that operates that whole thing can't be produced with you doing it. And that's faith. He has to produce the faith in you to be able to operate and function his plan for your life. So you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. And we're, we're going to, I don't want to get into the next section because I won't be able to finish it, but I just want to encourage you that if you focus on relationship, focus on his love, focus on just that next step. Don't worry about a hundred steps down the road. Worry about the next step. Lord, what's, what's the next step? Trust you? Okay, I trust you and I take this step. What's the next one? Hold my hand tighter. You're going to need to. Just hold it. Let's go. And those steps start to move faster and faster and faster. Until you're running and you don't even realize it. Anybody see The Shack? That's such an awesome movie. I love that movie. My favorite part of that movie is when he and Jesus are just running together. And not because they're running on the water, because that was pretty cool too. That would be cool. But just the fact that they, it was like they didn't have a care in the world. They were just in relationship together. They just loved being with each other. That's where you want to be. That's what's available to you. That's who he is. That's what he died for. He died to have that relationship with us. And and it's not just one of us that, that gets it. 
It's not, well, we'll pick one out of your church and have this awesome relationship. Everybody just kind of suck off that. It doesn't work that way. It's available to everybody. And it's when everybody starts to really understand that and grab a hold of it that the bride will become unified. That the bride will understand her place. That the church will understand that instead of bickering with another church over some stupid belief, we're just in relationship and we love. I know that sounds kind of utopic. But you know what? Jesus is. (laughs) And it's coming. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. You are just awesome, God. You are awesome. We praise you. And Lord, just continue opening up our eyes on a personal standpoint. This idea about the next step in relationship. There's not a single one of us, beginning with me, God, that does not have that next step that we have to take by faith. So I pray, Lord, for each one in here that you make your hand clear. That you guide that next step and we will step in faith. And we will trust you. I pray that you work in every heart, Lord. Bring us to a place of just absolute joy and love and peace in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple of announcements, but one of the things that the Lord just hit me with when he asked the question that is, if you aren't seeking the Lord, why not? And um, I thought about how many Christians stick to their walk with Christ kind of like they might stick to a diet for medication reasons or weight loss reasons or whatever. You stick to it, but you don't really believe in it. You know you're supposed to, and you know there might be benefits of it, but it's not something you really love. I mean, even the two words, healthy eating, just have negative connotations, you know? It's weird. It's something that's really powerful. And and that's why that question that he asked, why don't you, is so important. I mean, seriously, like, as soon as you get a chance to get alone, ask that of yourself. Because, see... You can't go into relationship with the wrong paradigm. You can't go into relationship. You know, even that word relationship, Satan has saw, he sees to it that, that we don't even know what that means because maybe every relationship you've ever had is on some level dysfunctional. And so you're going, how's that great? I mean, like, my family's dysfunctional. I've had problems with my friends. I've had problems with my coworkers. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't sound like it's that great. And yet... God created us to be in fellowship with others, and he created us for his glory to be in fellowship with him. But we have to ask the why, because we need to understand what is the wrong paradigm that we have. And then, as we approach relationship, it's got to be in truth. It's got to be in truth of who he is. Otherwise, we're just approaching relationship with all of our wrong paradigms, just like how we might approach an eating program going, okay, you know, 
and not really getting it, maybe following a plan for the plan's sake, but then not really ever being excited about it, and even sometimes seeing the benefits but not being excited about it and finding no joy in what we're putting in our mouth. Well, that's a lot of the Christian life for a lot of people. They're going to church and they're doing their thing because they're supposed to and because something influenced them or whatever. But they're not finding a thrill and a joy and a vigor. And it's really, it's, it's a lot about truth. And, and in that parallel, which God gives us physical parallels, I mentioned that in the ladies' class, God created our bodies to need food. So why would he create a body to need food and then when it comes to the healthy stuff, make it all be unappealing and yucky. You know, that's not what he would do. He wouldn't do that. He didn't wait until everything was available just at the dollar store so that we like it there. You know, like he acted, we were in Africa and we were like, man, everything we ate was just like from the ground to the, you know, you do it. And then you, it's just, there was no processing of anything. It was just really interesting. It's hard not to get processed foods here. But God did that on purpose because he wants, he wants us to enjoy that. And the Christian life is not supposed to be boring. The relationship is not supposed to be a drag. So we gotta, we got to ask that question. If, you just, if there's just one thing you take, take that question and answer it. If I'm not, like he said, if I'm not getting all the fruits of the Spirit, why? What is the reason I'm not reaching out? Because until you stop and answer that question, what am I not doing? How am I not stepping? Why am I not willing to jump off like Leah's great metaphor in our class this morning, you know, the Lord wants me to jump, and sometimes I'm just like, no, I don't see, I see nothing but just devastation by taking that step with you. And, and then get to the bottom of that, and then replace, because you know what you're going to find when you ask those questions, you're going to find a series of lies. Mm-hmm. And you've got to replace the lies with the truth yes. before you ever even want to approach the relationship. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, I don't want to, who wants another dysfunctional relationship? Hello, not me. You know, like we want something pure and beautiful and great, you know? <laughs> so, um, so anyways, um, but, but think about that and ask why. Because there is, I'm telling you, the fruits of the Spirit, we just, we do not access them like we need to. They are so right there. They're so available. And we can experience every single one of them every single day. I'm not there yet either. But God's given them to me more and more. And I'm loving it. And it's changing everything. Like he said, we feel like we're just babies starting out on this journey. So I just encourage you to do that. Um, One of the things that I wanted to... um,